Hey, this is Chris Foley from Luxury, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who did it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? I am being realistic. As the story grows. I always wanted to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. funny, I just realized I talked to uh, Nathan Burke, who was in Frotus uh, last night, so it's back-to-back bass player episodes. Oh, it's just so weird. We're yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. And then I'm I'm talking to uh, Liam Wilson from Dillinger Escape Plan later, so it'll be like three in a row bass players. Three in a row. <laughs> uh, cool. Just funny. Yeah, it's it's totally different and strange, but um, it's great. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't get talked too much as bass players. <laughs> No, no, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's so much uh, that is in uh, the new documentary, Parallel Love. I guess it's not so new for people who kickstarted the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's so great. It covers so much of the band uh, that I don't just want to repeat all that. Um, Well, I mean, maybe our... The film going to get a wider release? Yes, yeah. Lord willing, uh, we're in talks right now with the distributor, or the filmmaker is rather. It, it should be clear up front that really this is not something that we set out to kind of make a documentary about ourselves. It was a, a longtime fan who had all this footage going back 20, 23 years, um, who eventually became part of the band, but this was his brainchild. He's done some... Uh, documentaries before so he is actually talking with a distributor about you know doing some more of the film festival circuit which it has been already doing but hopefully a short theater run and then uh you know for streaming services you know like amazon and netflix and whatnot that's that's being received very being received very well yeah no i i I watched the film and it's very, it's very um, emotional and heavy. I think there's mm-hmm. great rock documentary stuff, but I was not prepared for like how kind of heavy it is in parts. I mean, I knew about the, the van accident and that mm-hmm. was heavy, but, but the man, all the stuff with Glenn and his family, like, Oh, I know it's very heavy, man. It, it, <laughs> A it, lot of people it, have said it, that. It does. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a great film. Um, so I know from the film and this, this will be our jumping off point, uh, that you, you were like the, not the punk member, but your gateway into music was punk and, and like the DC scene and Fugazi. So I'm curious how you got in, how you got into, uh, punk rock. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in the Atlanta area. And uh, I would say it was, uh, I don't know, maybe I was in ninth grade or something. This is, you know, in the mid-80s, kind of the classic time for kind of American hardcore and all of that. And we'd go into a private school, and some friends of mine exposed me to uh, Dead Kennedys and Black Flag. 
and uh, I remember Violent Femmes and a few others of just non-mainstream music. And when I first heard that music, I just, it floored me. I mean, just the energy, the the in-your-face honesty and confronting uh, the ills of society just unflinchingly. I just was immediately drawn to it. Like, what is this? And I, I want more of it. Um, and then was just so excited to discover that there was this whole scene, this whole underground network of bands and labels and venues all around the country, you know, discovering zines and maximum rock and roll and all of that. And so I just wanted to get my hands on as much of it as I could. Um, but also, you know, growing up Christian in a Christian home, you know, it's uh it felt dangerous, yeah. um, but I was still drawn to it. But somehow I didn't see it as totally a contradiction to my faith at all, especially when I just started to discover that there were these you know, kind of positive elements within that scene. Um, mm-hmm. I remember listening to a, a hardcore show that came on every week on WREK, which is the Georgia Tech radio station, and uh, I heard seven seconds for the first time, and it just was like, oh my gosh, this is great. It's melodic, it's positive, it's in your face. Um, So kind of through seven seconds, I discovered this whole, you know, I guess it was the straight edge scene that was uh, big then and growing. And so I discovered the New York bands, and you know, the the straight edge scene there with Youth of Today, and um, but once I discovered the DC scene and just their whole DIY ethic, um, you know, with bands like Minor Threat and Rites of Spring and uh, Marginal Man, Ed Nasty, all of those bands, it just, here was a group of people that I could connect with. They were, they were putting on shows for the homeless. They were uh, keeping prices low, all ages, you know, it was all just, they were doing it themselves, and it was to do something positive, not just I'm angry and I'm pissed off, but let's do something about it. Let's change it. And I was not seeing that in the church culture around me at the time. It just, there was, I don't know, like, there just wasn't an interest in really making a change. Uh, yeah. So it kind of became, like I said, something that didn't contradict my faith, but I just found that it resonated with. Um, and so the DC scene is really kind of what got me fully into uh, the punk scene. And then in Atlanta, we had a great local music scene. Uh, I was in bands all through high school. All my friends were in bands. We put on shows together. We found, uh, you know, empty storefronts and tried to put on shows. We we did benefits for different organizations and, um, you know, started a label. I helped put out a compilation, a tape compilation that was trying to document some of the kind of mid to late 80s bands in the Atlanta scene. Um, so I just, you know, fully immersed myself in it and just loved it. That's awesome. So you said you were in bands all throughout high school. I assume you have some great band names. <laughs> some good ones, but some funny ones. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean that this this is the part of the show people come for to hear everybody's <laughs> old, terrible band names. Uh, yeah, we had three, uh, four different names. Uh, it was kind of the same band, but with different members. So every time we changed yeah. members, we changed names. But the first one was called The Inspired. Mm. <laughs> Classic. And then yeah. uh, I- IVY, which stood for Innocent Victims of Youth. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then Now or Never. Uh, and then Threshold. 
those were the kind of the four bands in high school I played in. That's cool. Now, did you start off as a bass player? Yeah, I just picked it up. But what I loved about punk rock and hardcore is I just loved how much the bass carried the the music. Um, and so I just jumped right in. And plus, when I sat down with the guitar, I thought, man, this just looks too complicated. And here I only have to worry about one string at a time. So I played my yeah. first show after, you know, a month <laughs> of playing bass. Um, but just grew to love, love it as an instrument. So then I know you went to uh, Tacoa College, Tacoa Falls. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's where you uh, met the luxury guys. Right. So so yeah. is it a true story that Tooth & Nail offered you? I mean, it's in the documentary, so I imagine it must be true. But they just offered you a deal on the spot there at Cornerstone when you played in 94? Yeah, yeah. So it was. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot happened in those four years, but there was a lot of behind the scenes things and people yeah. rooting for us and talking to Brandon ahead of time. So when Brandon saw us in Cornerstone in 94 on the impromptu stage, we kept trying to get on that stage every day of the festival. You know, they just put a bunch of names in the basket and they pull out, you know, 10 bands and mm-hmm. it got to be the last day and we hadn't, you know, gotten to play. And uh, so they pulled our names. And so all week Brandon kept coming by our table saying, you know, Tell me when you guys are playing. I'm going to come see you because uh, the prayer chain guys uh, we had gotten to know pretty well because we ran a venue. We ran a club in the in the town, the college town we were in, and we started booking bands from around the country. And prayer chain came and played, and we did a few shows with them and some local festivals in the southeast. And they became our biggest fans, you know, out in California. So they kept pitching pitching us to Brandon. They kept talking to us about cornerstone and you know this whole christian scene which i mean we knew a little bit about because i mean we we did some local shows in the atlanta area with some more christian type promoters but we were never really you know kind of set out to want to sign to a christian label and things like that but then when tooth and nail came out it just there seemed to be a, a similar ethic and a similar um, you know, the classic discussion about, you know, Christians in a band and all of that. It just seemed like Brandon mm-hmm. was, you know, willing to take a risk and was caring more about, you know, the art side of things. And um, so, yeah, so we were excited to have him see us play. And, yeah, he offered us a deal on the spot, sat down with us and um, said, yeah, I want to work with you guys. That's crazy. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> Because, I mean, it was uh, pretty early on. I mean, it was just a few months earlier that we played a show in Columbia, South Carolina, and there was all this Tooth Nail merch there. I'm like, what is this? This is, you know, the Starflyer album, the first MXPX album, and I think the Blenderhead album, Wish for Eden, and, you know, just the artwork was good. And um, and then two months later, three months later, you know, kind of talking to him and him offering us a deal. I mean, we were, you know, I don't know, 20 maybe, <laughs> At the time, 21, and they're like, yeah, let's do it, man. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's amazing. Um, admittedly, I was not a luxury fan back in the day, not, not because I didn't like it, just because I never listened to it. Like, I got into luxury via the, uh, the Canary Split EP that Velvet Blue put out, and then the oh, All Things man. Bright and Beautiful record. So my first luxury oh. record was, was Help in Sport. And I was like, oh, my oh, God, wow. this is amazing. And then went back from there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I was like, how did, so, I, yeah, how did kind I miss of this? Backed into it. Well, and, yeah. you know, obviously, us, Luxury, and a few others on Tooth & Nail, I mean, Tooth & Nail was kind of cashing in on all the, you know, the harder music, and uh, which was great. I mean, there was a whole, you know, genre and market for that that hadn't been tapped. But, uh you know, we kind of felt like, you know, we kind of got lost in that shuffle a little bit because we weren't part of that scene. I mean, I guess I kind of came from that, but, you know, we were doing something. The aesthetic was just a little bit different than a lot of yeah. other tooth and nail bands at the time. And yeah. Because we weren't screamo yeah. or something. <laughs> Our singer was kind of the antithesis of, uh, you know, the macho... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, just kind of the screamo lead singer of a 
parkour band. It was it was sound and genre that where you got lost, or do you think it was maybe the lyrical content where people just didn't? It was harder to market. Yeah, I mean, I I bet it was a combination of both. Um, certainly, I mean the the Christian market. You know, Brandon just really insisted on you know he wanted to put it in the Christian bookstores as well. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, well, you're paying for the record, you know, but what do you want? I mean, we we were more interested in the general market, um, and it did get some distribution there, and we got on some college radio and, and whatnot, but I think in the Christian market, yeah, I think the lyrical content, just because it wasn't explicit uh, Christian, it was more implicit and more kind of just themes, and I mean, me, our singer, you know, he's, I guess, just more influenced by his you know, the writers he was into and other, uh, you know, he was a huge Morrissey fan. And, you know, I, I think he just liked to be a little bit edgy and mysterious. And so Christian, you know, kids that bought the stuff didn't know what to do with it. And a lot of our stuff was brought back to the stores. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I also think the genre, um, you know, to take kind of an edgy uh edgy music with this very, you know, almost like, I don't know, effeminate delivery of <laughs> falsetto singing or something. It was just a unique uh, sound that I just think a lot of people maybe didn't connect with. So, I mean, the band that kind of did it for us, because we were from very different musical backgrounds when we met in college, um, was probably the D.C. band uh, Shudder to Think. Um, yeah, because this this was a band who was very much a part of the scene and was very edgy and um, but also I mean Craig's voice was just this operatic. Uh, it was just this juxtaposition that kind of helped us as a band kind of give us a vision. Like yes, this can be done. We can bring this together in such a way that it's you know trying to produce something that you know we thought was pretty unique and combined all of our influences kind of jam them together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting hearing, like, uh, Chris Colbert and, and Steve Hindelong talk about working on that first record and their their thoughts and ideas for what it should sound like and what they hope to morph and sculpt into that. Um, yeah. And they were so is, great to work with, you know. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was our first studio experience, really. And, uh, you know, we kind of looked up to those guys for a long time, especially me, because even when I was in high school, I was looking for Christian stuff that was remotely connected (laughs) to non-mainstream music and, you know, Breakfast with Amy and, you know, certainly the choir. And so to be able to work with these guys, it was just, we were pinching ourselves at first. (laughs) Like, whoa, we're working with. Chris Colbert and Stephen Long, and they were just so helpful and just helping us think more about arrangements, really helped Lee with thinking about uh, vocal delivery. I mean, so it was really, that first album was a teaching moment for us, learning how to you know, think about song structure a little more, not just, man, we want to get out there and just play and rock. You know, we have to kind of think about dynamics and how to pull this off in the studio. And-
there's so much of the movie that revolves around um, the bus collision, um, the bank crash. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, the band not being the forefront of your mind anymore, not like caring so much about that anymore because, you know, it's your friends who are in, in you know, dire need and, and miracles yeah. and like operation. Um, just personally, what was that time like for you? And, uh, because you were not in the crash, you were behind it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, thank God nobody died, but there mm-hmm. is a sense yeah. of, you know, kind of a survival guilt in a way of, you know, we were in a, a car following the van. We saw the accident. We saw our friends get thrown from the vehicle. We saw the van land on me. We, you know, but you, you just run over there and you're an automatic pilot and, um, you know, just in shock. And it was, you know, kind of later in the day once everybody got to the, the ICU and it seemed like everybody was doing okay. And, you know, Lee was still pretty serious for a few days. I mean, he was in ICU and, and it was kind of, I think that evening, it just, you know, finally just hit me what had just happened. And, oh my gosh, you know, people could have died. And even the the police that, that came, uh, you know, the first responders said, yeah, we, we were in a, went to an accident like this a few weeks ago, uh, the same sort of accident, and three people died. And you guys are just very fortunate. And, you know, it's just you're at this age where, you know, the band is everything and you're, you're on this trajectory and we, you know, we were, you know, running full steam ahead. I mean, that show we played at Cornerstone that year, I mean, it was just, you know, like, wow, things are really starting to to happen. And, uh, and then this happens and you're just, you start asking questions like, you know, what's this about? What, what does this mean about the band? And certainly it just changed a lot yeah. of our perspective on things. I think we just, it sobered us up and, you know, what's really important, you know, what, what is life truly about? And, you know, we were starting to get married. Some of us were starting to have kids. We were on, you know, playing and touring quite a bit. And, you know, something like that, you just take a step back and you just think, well, what, what do we want to do? <laughs> And so I think, yeah. I mean, I think I even say it in the movie, you know, I think I even said, you know, it, in some ways it got to the point where it didn't really matter if the band continued or not. I'm just very thankful that you know, these dear friends of mine are alive and, you know, that we didn't have to bury our friends. But, um, yeah. But we were still musicians and we still loved to play. And so, you know, eventually we, I think it, we had to, we had to work it out in our in our music. We had to. You know, that was the outlet we had as musicians, you know, when you're working out your grief. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, a, what a better place to do it than through your art form. like going on tour in support of uh, Latest and Greatest? Because I imagine that was the first time you guys went out to play and were on the yeah, road again really after was. the accident, right? Yeah, I mean, we did some local, you know, kind of southeast weekend trips, but yeah, we toured with Morello's Forest on that tour, and um, I think it was a little at first, you know, particularly our wives. I would say particularly the wives of the band members who were the accident, you know, understandably so. I think they were a little bit, okay, you can do this, but I, I don't think they were, you know, thrilled. 
about us going mm-hmm. out on the road, and and it was hard. It was hard to be gone. I think we we were gone for I think a little over a month, which was the longest time we'd been away since you know that accident. That was I think a year. I think maybe a year and a half after the accident, and mm-hmm. um, so it was bittersweet. I mean, we had a great time on the road. We certainly loved playing and loved touring and meeting you know the fans and. Um, but there was also still the sense of, I don't know, the, it's not fulfilling <laughs> that, that deeper need, whatever that was at the time, I think. Yeah. Um, kind of hard to explain it. Yeah. When you guys left Tooth and Nail after Latest and Greatest, um, I know Bulletproof put out the self-titled record. Um, mm-hmm. And their bulletproof was Christian affiliated to. Um, what led you guys to bulletproof? Well, we knew Marty and David who ran bulletproof. We've known them for a long time. They they would put on the Inner Seeds Music Festival, and you know they had bulletproof and uh, Grey Dot Records. They ran a zine, the Visions of Grey, and we'd known them for a long time, and. You know, we always played their venue in Atlanta at the Strand. And so I think when we left Tooth and Nail, we kind of went through a time of, uh, you know, are we even still a band? You know, it just, we still played shows from time to time, but we weren't, you know, just trying to get out there. But we kept writing. Lee kept bringing music, and he said, well, I've got these songs. And our, our friend Matt is starting to record bands. and you know, let's go in the studio. And so I think it was around that time then that a Bulletproof contacted us, if I remember it correctly, and just said, you know, we'd love to put something out. Our friends uh, in the band called Annie from Chattanooga just released their album on Bulletproof. And we're like, well, this just seems to make sense. They're willing to pay for the production of the CD and we have the songs. So it was just, it almost seemed like a, just a no-brainer. This is just a way to get another album out. Uh, yeah. I think is kind of what we were thinking at the time. Oh, yeah. And then, and then unfortunately, I think the the distributor went bankrupt, like, right after it was released. Um, so we have boxes of these CDs, if anybody wants one. Uh, Let me know. We'll talk when we're done with the podcast. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, um, no, no, that's just, I was just curious because I know like Bulletproof and then, uh, Health and Sport was on Northern and mm-hmm. I mean, I, I imagine the Northern release was based off relationship. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and just, just not wanting to tour anymore. I was just curious about Bulletproof after Tooth and Nail. If it was like, not that you got stuck there, but if it was like hard to branch out after being on Tooth and Nail into the general market. Yeah. Or if you even tried. Yeah, I mean, the the kind of the Atlanta Athens scene is always it's just always been a hard scene to break into. It's very uh, cliquish, and especially Athens. Um, and I think once we were on Tooth and Nail, we did get branded as something that uh, I don't know. There was just kind of a snobbery, like oh, that's that Christian band, but like we never. We never built ourselves as, as that, and we, you know, we mostly played venues and and clubs, and um, so we just felt like we could never get traction in the general market, and we had a lot of traction in this Christian indie scene. Um, so it's like, do we, you know, try to get on some small indie label where? Probably not many people are going to hear it. Or do we go with Bulletproof, who might have some distribution and a little more marketing, you know, and, and within a genre of people that already know who we are? <laughs> um, so, I mean, honestly, we didn't really talk about it much. I think it was just more of what we wanted to do is just put out another record. Because I think by the time self-title came out, and really from that point forward, we were just interested in being a band to write music and to be together and create something. We, we were just starting to be done with the whole, 
we got to be in a band and we got to make it and all of that. I think we just, that's just not where we were, but we still loved writing and playing together, you know, still dear friends. And so Bulletproof just a way to continue doing that. That's cool. And I would say the nor I would say the Northern release was the same because I'd already left and gone to seminary at that point, which is a whole nother <laughs> discussion. But, you know, I came back in town and we recorded Health and Sport and Northern was totally based on our, you know, friendships with, you know, Eric from the prayer chain and you know, he's part of the Northern group and Northern had already put out, you know, the all record, yeah. bright and beautiful record. And I think, I can't remember if they sing as they slew. No, I think that might've been after. I'm trying to remember the timeline there, but also with, during that time, we also started a, a little imprint collective ourselves called cut and paste collective. So we were putting out our own stuff between oh. uh, self-titled and bullet, I mean, between Bulletproof and the Northern releases. Uh, so like Canary. Um, yeah. And okay, so you you were doing the Scissors and Blue with uh, Jeff Cloud. Right, with Jeff Cloud. Yeah, that was a, like a collaborative effort. Um, yeah, the Cut and Paste Collective was was a neat thing. Just came, we, we got to know the Viva Voce uh guys pretty pretty well. They're from Birmingham, Kevin and Anita. Um and then they had some friends from Portland, Danny Seam from um you know, they were doing lack thereof and then went on to do Menomina. So it was just a collective of like minded musicians that we were all putting out our own stuff. So we thought, well let's just pull our resources together and have a common moniker that we use while we're supporting our own music. Um, yeah. So that's how the Cut and Paste Collective. And then Cloud approached us about doing a collaborative effort of the Scissors and Blue, uh, where we curate it and bring the bands, and then he puts it out. And I think we got four out of the six releases done. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. we finished yeah, before it went. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Um, yeah, I was always, I. I feel like I was talking to somebody about that collection recently. Um, it's actually being rebirthed. A friend of ours in Lexington, who's uh, in a band called Kind Skies, uh, Chris Boss, he's uh, he kind of asked us recently if he could kind of resurrect the collective. And uh, so it's actually at the beginning stages of, you know, we've got a band camp page and a website. And it's a way, again, to put all of our old releases, all the luxury, canary, they sang as they slew all things, Lee solo stuff, Jamie solo stuff, all, a bunch of our friends that are still writing and making music kind of do yep. the same thing. Not really so much a label, but just a gathering place. going to seminary um yeah i was i definitely wanted to ask you about uh coming to uh the orthodox not I, I, it sounds weird to say the orthodox faith but like coming to orthodoxy and 
what led you to that? Yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> that could be a long story. Um, I'm trying to do the Windows Digest version. Um, you know, I think, you know, there was a parallel uh, trajectory going on the whole time the band was going on, um, which was I went to Tacoa Falls because I was interested in studying missions and was interested in maybe going overseas uh, doing some kind of tent making missions or, or working with like street punks in Amsterdam with youth with a mission or, or something like that. Like somehow I wanted to combine my interest in, you know, even that scene and the whole music scene and, and some kind of ministry kind of something unique. So I went to the school there to do that. Um, but while there just found a group of people that we were going to church with and we found ourselves just I think collectively uh, getting disillusioned with, uh, I would say, kind of the modern evangelical experiment um, and just longing for something more, uh, just feeling like, I don't know, like I couldn't connect with the church around me. It wasn't so much I had an issue with God as I had a struggle just fitting in in kind of the current Christian climate. Um, so I, I led a group of us into just starting to study different streams of Christianity, the history of the church. Um, you know, what did the early Christians think about worship and theology and faith and life and how to live this faith in this world? Because um, it just seemed like the trajectory was either the Christians around me were either getting dis- delusioned a disillusion and just leaving the faith altogether. You know, this stupid mm-hmm. Christianity, this is the cause of all of our ills. And, you know, really seeing it with a lot of our friends in the Christian kind of underground music scene, just completely leaving faith altogether. Um, or turning into kind of a, a super, uh, I don't know, maybe an overly progressive Christianity, which, you know, it certainly emphasized some great things like social justice and, and whatnot, but feeling like it was just leaving theology and historical Christianity behind. And so I think the more we studied, the more we read, um, we kept hearing about this Eastern Christianity, Eastern Orthodox Christianity. And, you know, what on earth is that? Growing up thinking, you know, there was just Protestantism and Catholicism. Yeah. Um, but then just starting to read about, you know, the, the richness of the Eastern Christian tradition, that there was a whole Eastern half of the ancient Roman Empire that um, did not fall into kind of, you know, the Dark Ages, and it was the full flowering of the Byzantine Empire and the full flowering of Christianity, and um, that there was this whole kind of third group of Christianity in the world, which was actually the second largest body of Christians in the world. Um, so it was some times called the best kept secret in in the West because people didn't know about it. Um, so the more we read, the more we studied, I mean, to make a long story short, there was about 40 of us that, you know, began meeting together and wanting to learn more about Orthodox Christianity. We found about, we found out about some other churches around the country that had been on a similar journey. So some of their priests were willing to come and, and do weekend retreats with us and tell us about what they had been learning. Um, it just really resonated with me, uh, particularly. It just answered a lot of the questions of the, I don't know, some of the contradictions and the, uh, and the dualism that I was finding within Christianity and evangelical kind of white bread Protestant Christianity. Yeah. Um, so we eventually, you know, about 40 of us kind of made that journey over about a 10 year period of time and eventually we're, kind of brought in into the, the Eastern Orthodox faith. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I could bring a lot of <laughs> details about that, but that's basically the... How yeah, how were, were you the first in the band to uh, convert, as it was, to the Orthodox faith? Yeah, well, it, it was Lee and I, the singer, 
uh, were kind of at the same time, you know, him and his wife and, and my wife, we were part of that group of, you know, 40 or so okay. people. Um, I don't really until years later, after I had already gone off to seminary, that uh, Lee's brother Jamie, you know, now Father James, <laughs> uh, eventually, you know, came east, as it were, and, uh, you know, he converted him and his family. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, I was going to say, you mentioned it. I was going to say, you guys are like the opposite of a lot of these podcast episodes where it's like, yeah, nobody in the band believes or has any faith anymore. And instead, you're like, we're all priests now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I just, I have such a heart and a burden for that because I've, I was at the same place too. I mean, mm-hmm. verging yeah. on that same place of just feeling like I was getting so cynical. So sarcastic, so like I could just feel my my faith slipping, um, and I just I didn't like the person I was becoming. It was just like reactionary, 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 and all the anger was kind of outward. And I'm a victim, and oh, and then I guess the more I learned about kind of ancient Eastern Christian spirituality, where you know, we direct the anger inward, not outward. You know, if we want to change the world, we, we look within our own selves because all of the darkness that we see in this world, all of the junk and the injustice and abuse and all of that that would cause somebody, you know, for good reasons many times to leave the faith, right. is all within us, within mm-hmm. our own hearts. <laughs> so then it became like not punk rock and I'm going to fight the world and change the world, it's going to be like punk rock. Like, I'm going to face my demons and face my own darkness and my own fears. And who do I find there but Christ himself who was willing to descend even into the tombs after his death to free Adam and Eve and free all of those kind of in the self-imposed Hades of their own choice and free them. Yeah. And so for me, that, that was, I felt like I was on my way out the door. And then for me, Orthodox Christianity was a chance for me, just the rebirth of my faith. Um, so that's why I have a burden for those who are struggling with the church, because I get it. I understand. And I understand the, the anger and, and all of that. But um, actually, we were able to go back to Cornerstone. This was years later. Uh, the last two years, Cornerstone was going on, uh, not as a band. We went back as kind of an Orthodox outreach, and we had table a table there and had all of this Orthodox literature. The folks at Cornerstone let us serve Vespers and Matins, daily services there. Um, we were wearing our cassocks, and it was just, I don't know. It was just great to go because I felt like I wasn't there to proselytize. I was just there to hopefully offer some hope to people that were on their way out of the door. Well, before you leave entirely, (laughs) maybe the God that you're rejecting and are so angry about, maybe that's an idol of the true God. Yeah. So I can see how our story might be a little bit different than, than others. Wikipedia in 2008, you guys had a dispute with another uh, band named Luxury. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, I think there was a band <laughs> from uh, Europe somewhere. That's the one I'm thinking of. There's actually been two times where we've had some dispute. Um, and I think we even had to get the lawyer to draft a, a letter of... Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever it's called, you know, the, the legal term. Um, yeah. You know, we were basically saying you need to back down because 
we've been using this name longer than you have, and I think we had to even document kind of our, our printed material, and and I think they, they didn't fight it. I think they changed their name. That's funny. I hadn't thought about that forever. Yeah, this yeah, this one says a uh, you know, Boston-based band called, changed their name oh, to that's right. The Luxury. Yeah. The the Luxury. The it's Luxury. Funny. <laughs> well, and when we were working on uh, Trophies, which is, you know, the latest release, uh, we found out about there was this DJ uh, in London who was using Luxury, and uh, we contacted him, and he was just super gracious. He's like, oh, man, I, I didn't realize you guys were – doing that and he just said oh well, that's no problem I'll change it <laughs> and then there's a band from Russia called the luxury band that we oh, have man. yeah and and uh we haven't had any correspondence with them but uh sometimes their their stuff comes up when people do some spotify searches and and then with trophies you know this is a a self release that we're it, it feels like it's old cuz we recorded it in 2014 um, but Matt was starting to work on the documentary, and so the publicist we were talking to said, "Oh, this is just too great. You got to wait and put this album out at the same time that the film comes out." Well, the film took a little bit longer than <laughs> what the rest of us were hoping. So everybody that backed the Kickstarter got a copy of Trophies. Uh, we have vinyl and we have CDs of it. But what we're hoping, and we're actually in conversation with. Uh, a label right now um, that might put it out for us, you know, hopefully sometime this year, um, kind of with the release of the film. And so hopefully, I just don't want trophies to get lost because <laughs> we're pretty excited about the album. This is the first, you know, first we've gotten together since Health and Sport, and we're pretty proud of the, the record. So hopefully, yeah, I was, I was, that'll be up soon. Yeah, that was going to be my next question because, yeah, Trophies is up on Bandcamp and it can be streamed, but nobody can purchase mm-hmm. it and um, there's no physical release. So that's cool. So hopefully it'll be out, uh, I guess, I guess at this point, 2019 sometime. Fingers I'm afraid to say a date. Um, I think what we <laughs> are going to do, probably when it, it's getting closer to Christmas, I think we are going to do a flash sale. Um, but we'll we'll put some advertisement for it up on various places. But I think for about two weeks we'll have it available for sale for physical copies for the vinyl or the CD, um, and then probably take it back down because certainly when we're talking to labels, most labels aren't interested in putting something out that they think is already out. Right. <laughs> so you know, but I think the handful of fans that we we, we get questions probably every week asking for some of the physical copies of it so hopefully we'll be doing that sometime before christmas yeah like like i said coming to luxury later and being more of a fan of maybe more of the experimental softer stuff than the chaos like yeah this record like it's 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 it, it, so good um and it, yeah, it, it so doesn't glad. feel out of place in the discography, especially like when you listen to Help and Sport and the self-titled, like it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were pretty skeptical about, you know, we haven't played together in gosh, 12 years or something. Last time we were working yeah. on that and are we going to suck or what? <laughs> um, <laughs> but we were pretty excited how it came together. I mean, it was a struggle to pull it together. And, um, but I, I think, it seems like the next logical release. I think it has some of the some of the elements of, of earlier luxury, uh, kind of the the edge, but I think still refined and beautiful. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm we're all excited. I think for more people to hear it.
Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never felt so young and alive as when I'm diving into a tomb. And now I'm learning as I listen along, and the wheels are turning, and I started a song. What good word, and I'm gone. Oh, as the story grows, the more I want to know, the more I want to show you. As the story grows, as the story grows, you can create something. Yeah.